You're listening to Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth. This is the place where you can hear about big ideas, big research, and big experiments that are shaping the future of our world. Today, we're finding out how chemistry and technology have joined forces to help clean up our waters here in the UK and even further afield. We use our technology to map out what's going on in their catchment, how it, where, where is it coming from, how is it flowing through their rivers. The big thing is, is providing clean drinking water. We're hearing how experiments like this are opening up brand new questions to scientists who have to work together to combine their expertise. Where we're looking at these emerging contaminants, yeah. we still don't know what their fate is, so where does it end up if it's yeah. in the sediments? What are, what are the processes that's happening there? Is it being broken down? Is it building up? Is it yeah. being released back? And we'll find out about the Portsmouth technology that looks set to change the game, gathering information on water quality, and who knows, maybe even reduce our water bills. Emma Fields met Professor Gary Phones. Gary Phones is Professor of Environmental Aquatic Chemistry. In his career, Gary's done incredible research all over the world. But as far as his wife is concerned... So my wife thinks from previous work that I just play with mud and sand. (laughs) In his main area of research, Gary works with aquatic environments, both freshwater and seawater. Other ways that I describe it, the work we do now is just thinking about pollutants in river water and coastal Mm. water so all the things you know where does our water come from or how are you polluting it so every time you do something it's just going down the drain it's ending up in the waterways but the overall impact of extra things going into the environment so nutrients coming in trace metals the work we've been doing recently lots of organic pollutants so all these things that are coming in from rivers sewage treatment works flowing through the rivers out into the estuaries out into the coastal sea what's their impact portsmouth is full of brilliant minds who are doing really excellent research and gary is one of them his work has taken him to study phytoplankton under the watchful gaze of king penguins in the southern ocean to sediment studies on a shelf in the Celtic Sea and how that relates to fisheries. He's worked around the world and he loves the discovery aspect of this new science, but also the chance to innovate and make a real impact on cleaning up our waters in relationship to wider environments. He's even explored their relationship with carbon, which has been impactful in our understanding of climate science. The first one is the is this whole discovery science and mm. trying to understand things that we don't know. So yeah. how do various processes work? So some of the sediment work I did with the passive samplers was looking at these small-scale processes, mm. and which no one, no one knew how they worked. No one knew that they worked at this sub-micron scale and there was all these small mm. micro-niches of metal release and recycling and i suppose and the other one is is this is this innovation side is Mm. the you know how how can we use passive sampling to help the water industry or environmental regulators because it's it's kind of been proven that taking spot samples of water isn't really the best way to do environmental monitoring programs so if we can if we can use passive samplers to further our understanding of what's happening in the 
in the aquatic environment, yeah. river iron inputs, and then link that into sewage treatment works, etc. Can we, yeah. you know, can we help ultimately clean up yeah. the UK UK rivers and coastal waters? Maybe we don't have to reach good ecological status now with post Brexit. But saying we do take all of that on board, yeah. you know, how, how do we reach good ecological status? You'll hear more about passive sampling later. Gary's pretty humble, but this is an area of cutting edge tech that he's developed, and it has the potential to change the way we manage water quality the world over. If all this chemistry seems a little far from home, let's look at one example from Gary's work on how carbon gets locked away in our oceans. There's this thing called the, the biological pump. So it's essentially photosynthesis. Algae use up or utilize all the carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. photosynthesize, lock that carbon dioxide away into their algal parts. They yeah. then die, sink down through the water column, taking that inorganic carbon that they've converted to organic carbon, that then sinks down into the deep sea potentially is either recycled back up into the surface mm -hmm. or can be taken down into the deep sea and sequestered away, so mm -hmm. locked away. So algae are pretty essential for taking carbon out of our atmosphere. So once it gets below a certain depth, yeah. it's not going to be recycled back up into the surface ocean. So where you get lots of mixing due yeah. to the fact that it's very it's always windy at sea and it stirs all the, okay. the surface up and it just recycles it but if it once it can get past say hundreds of meters and thousands of meters then it all sinks down sinks to the bottom down. and then it will just be moved around with bottom circulation and yeah. not just mix straight back up so yeah. that's very that's very deep sea global mm. deep sea oceanography in the past gary's looked at geoengineering where increased iron in the water helps these algae or phytoplankton bloom to see if it increases the amount of carbon they take out of the atmosphere. There's since been a move away from geoengineering in science. The iron's good because it makes the phytoplankton grow. What, yeah. what isn't good is you then get ecosystem shifts. So you might get different types of phytoplankton, zooplankton, and you change the whole structure. So what used to live there might, might change. Yeah. Phytoplankton may play a key role in the whole structure of an aquatic ecosystem, but there's more than one type of algae, and some have more useful functions than others. Algal blooms are the result of increased nitrogen and phosphorus, or NNP, in water systems. Now, this might come from man-made sources like dishwasher tablets or sewage treatment works, and all of it has an impact on our interconnected water systems. So if you get big, big algal blooms... There's different types, but you can have ones which are called harmful algal blooms, which can release toxins, and those mm -hmm. toxins are the ones that go into the shell shellfish. So you might yeah. see areas where they go, we've had this big algal bloom, please don't eat any yeah. shellfish. Mm -hmm. The other one is if you just get eutrophication and lots of phytoplankton, then that sinks down onto the seabed mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's shallow. And that uses up all the oxygen. Yeah. So there's no oxygen in the bottom waters. There's no oxygen in the surface sediments. Yeah. So that's the other impact that has. We were looking at what happens when all the nutrients come down the rivers and into the harbour. So we were, it was quite local. It was at Christchurch Harbour. And so we were looking at the, the Stour and the Avon. So we were, we were doing high resolution monitoring so we were taking samples every mm. so many hours or so 
using different automated techniques and then trying to, to work out what the fluxes were. So that was like how much N&P was coming into the yeah. Christchurch Harbour. So that was one, one bit of the work package. And then the other one I was doing, which is sediment biogeochemistry. So this is what happens in the surface sediments. So when all this new nutrients come in, or we've got all the phytoplankton and it's and it all rains down onto the yeah. onto the seabeds. Yeah. What happens then? So does it get taken up by the sediment? Does mm-hmm. it cause different processes? Lots of different chemistry going on. Oxygen's used up very quickly. Mm-hmm. So all the all the chemistry in the surface sediments changes. So it's a completely different environment. Nowadays, Gary works mostly with water companies, the companies that either provide clean water, take dirty water away, or do both. So in initiatives with the water companies is you've got you've got two two ways to try and protect, so it's protect either the water supply or or the waterways. One is a this thing called end of pipe solution. So that's mm-hmm. basically lots of money and lots of technology trying to clean everything up mm. at the sewage treatment works or at the, the the water supply works. Mm-hmm. The other the other way that people look at it, and that's where our work comes in, is this thing called protect the source. Mm-hmm. So if you know what's coming in, yeah, you can then try and stop mm. what's coming in. We don't do that. The water companies do that. Remember that passive sampler thing that Gary mentioned earlier? He's developed passive sampler technology over the last 23 years. In fact, it's this that drew him to Portsmouth in the first place. These devices use chemistry to analyse the contaminants as they diffuse through a hydrogel and are taken up by different kinds of resin. This allows for really detailed analysis of what's in the water. So a passive sampler is something that has... No moving parts, no batteries, no mm-hmm. power supply. It's something that you, a device that you put in the water or in the sediment and it accumulates the contaminant over time. You, you can then do the analysis. So you take it back out of the water, mm-hmm. take it to the lab, extract the contaminants back off the, the thing that was sequestering so yeah. building up pre-concentrating everything mm-hmm. and then you can you can work out what contaminants were there and then you can for some you can then work out what the concentration was as well so we've I, i've worked on numerous different passive samplers so for mm-hmm. for metals nutrients radionuclides we did some whole load of uranium mm-hmm. work with atomic weapons establishment Okay. We've done ones for tributyl tin, you know, the stuff that you paint, you were used to paint on the bottom of boats okay, to stop like everything, stuff anti-fouling. Yeah. Gary came to Portsmouth because of the work done to develop passive sampling and because of the strong marine science background. It brought everything together for him, and soon he joined forces with Graham Mills and Richard Greenwood to develop the Chemcatcher. He told us about his role. So since I started, and then when Richard retired, mine has really been pushing the the innovation side yeah. of Chemcatcher, of trying to work with work with the water companies and how we could use it as a as a monitoring tool for mm. them. So this is all this is essentially all our freshwater work now, but it but it's still 
fresh water into estuaries. And so what happens with the, with the chem catcher is, again, that sequesters, you know, pre-concentrates the contaminants over time. And so we can try and help the water companies see where all these contaminants are. So mm. if you imagine a, a river with lots of tributaries and yeah. bits coming in everywhere that all come down to a central location where the water's abstracted, where they take it off for clean drinking water. Yeah. If, if they detect something there that breaches water framework yeah. directives, where is it coming where's from? It coming from? And what's more, the chem catcher means that sampling can be done cheaply and efficiently, which is great for our water bills. So you can go out and spend lots of money sending somebody out to collect spot samples everywhere. So it's like a a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. But we refer to these, and we we did it in the Christchurch Harbour as well. We refer to that as, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what the timing is. So if you've got these things like stoichastic inputs... Mm-hmm. So if you've got a big storm, it yeah. rains, it washes everything in. Yeah. That then moves down as in detected down at the supply works. Yeah. But it might have been the day after the person went out with the bottle of water. Okay. Yeah. So our the idea with Pat that the whole concept of passive samplers is there's a couple of main key things behind passive samplers. One, it pre-concentrates, mm-hmm. so it makes it easier for doing the analytical work because mm-hmm. you've built that contaminant up over time so it's there's more of it so it's easier to detect yeah the other one is you get for the chem catcher for the one we use it you get this thing called a time weighted average so essentially it accumulates for two weeks Mm -hmm. we put them in for two weeks and so if you get a big spike during that two weeks it doesn't detect the spike but it will detect the an average presence of that contaminant over the two weeks. So if there's a spike above the average threshold, this is a good clue to working out how activity around the water might have changed. This could be a result of farms spreading pesticides at certain times of the year, or storms creating sewer overflows. Water companies have a big stake in making sure pesticides and other chemicals don't make it into drinking water. Just a tiny concentration can lead to huge fines which is reassuring for all of us drinking it. Chemcatcher technology has the potential to make a massive difference to how water quality is managed around the world, providing detailed information to help us look at risk, inform how water quality is managed, and how poor water quality is addressed. And the Chemcatcher approach isn't just helping us manage water quality at home. Gary joined Graham's project looking at HIV drugs in South Africa. He's currently exploring using this to detect pollution in India too. From yeah. the townships, there's large use of of ARVs. Yeah. So we were just trying to see whether Chemcatcher would be a useful tool to yeah. get for the water companies there, mm. the environment agencies there, to see if they could track if it was there. Mm. And could you track it? Could you see where it was coming from? Yeah. What were the, What's the concentration? The new it's work in of... India is, is is trying to utilise passive samplers there to help them see where all their pollution sources are coming mm. from so i mean yeah they've so got a huge monitoring program but obviously they miss everything because they say they're sampling up yeah you know they've got 1400 and something official sites but you know india's a big country yeah yeah and, and they're only going to be able to sample there once every month or something yeah. so they're going to miss all these different inputs But even where practical work is taking place, new questions and ideas are arising along the way, 
which could inform the next phase of research and development. Where we're looking at these emerging contaminants, yeah. we still don't know what their fate is, so where does it end up? If yeah. it's in the sediments, what are, what are the processes that's happening there? Is it being broken down? Is it be just be building up? Is it yeah. being released back? We're still doing our, our process-driven discovery blue skies mm. science as well as the moving into innovation and impact for yeah. water quality monitoring. Chemistry, physics, tech, biology. Gary believes departments need to collaborate with businesses and other research organisations and universities to make this happen. This was the case on the Celtic Sea Shelf project he mentioned earlier. So that Shelf Sea one was very... in. It was multi-institutional and they yeah. call it multidisciplinary but it was very it was very interdisciplinary because we were working on that specific problem of of what's happening in the shelf seas and it was very yeah. biogeochemistry but there was myself who was chemistry working with people who did the physics mm. working with people who did technology working with people who did the still science but people who did the microbiology so it's bringing all these different disciplines together yeah. to try and answer a particular question, mm-hmm. which just myself as a, you know as a, an aquatic chemist couldn't yeah. answer on my own unless yeah. I had somebody that had designed some technology piece of kit that we put on the seabed to do our experiments, which we then use someone else to determine the biological bits to go with our chemistry, and mm. so I suppose that's. For me, I've always done multidisciplinary work. It's trying to link it together so it's interdisciplinary work to bring that together. If there's one thing we've learned in Life Solved so far, it's that water is political. It underscores every aspect of life on Earth, and for that reason, it's a great theme to connect the disciplines. You might remember our episode with Steve Fletcher. He talked about bringing together cross-department decision-making over ocean policy. Gary's next focus is on microplastics in marine environments. But his work in water crosses many different areas of research, from land and human uses to citizenship, sociology, economics and health. He sees it as his primary role to give decision-makers the evidence they need to change policy and make a difference in everyone's lives. I mean, people always write stuff in grant proposals and things about how we're going to change policy. It's like, you're not going to change policy. You need to produce data and evidence to give to people who can then have an impact on the people who then change policy. So there's a definite chain of commands. Ours is to produce, I think ours is to produce the evidence yeah. and the data that we can then say, how, how can this be used? And to make, to, so people can make an informed decision, yeah. you would hope. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth. You can find out more about Professor Phones and his work online at port.ac.uk forward slash research. In this series, we've covered amazing technology revolutionary approaches to our environments and I hope you've learned as much as I have. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the ideas and applications for how our work impacts your world. So get in touch with us on social media using the hashtag LifeSolved. And if you have a friend that would find the episode interesting, do share it with them too and start a conversation. That's it from me and the team in Portsmouth for now, but we'll be back again soon with more great ideas.